This morning we are continuing in our series on grace. And the text this morning comes from Romans chapters 5 and 6. The portion that Josiah read previously comes after what we're about to read. So if you're willing and able, would you please stand? And hear now God's word that came through Paul's letter to the Romans. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we have also obtained access by faith into the grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that, as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life, through Jesus Christ our Lord. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. If you would, take a look on page 9 of your bulletin. The sermon notes are there. We're trying to work out these technical difficulties. What's going on with this mic? Maybe that means Jesus doesn't want me to preach this sermon. I'm getting the axe to go to this. Devil is trying to stop me. Ain't going to stop me. Can y'all hear okay? If I look this way, can you hear? Okay. If I look behind me. Okay, I won't do that then. The title of the sermon is Grace, the Freedom to Sin. To many of you, that might feel a bit awkward. To some of you, you're thinking, ah, you let Blake go away for four months and Scott becomes a heretic. I assure you that's not the case. Why does it make us feel awkward to say something like that? I think the reason why, and this is me included, is because inside of us, 
is a tiny legalist waiting to be let out. The point of this morning is to see that little legalist clearly. And to see that he's there because we actually misunderstand what gospel grace driven obedience looks like. Not trying to be intentionally provocative, but I am trying to be intentionally thoughtful. So what we're going to look at this morning, uh, I'm going to make some introductory comments on grace, and then we're going to look at three things. The three things that you have in your outline, that grace is the freedom to sin, grace is the freedom from sin, and then we're going to look at what grace-driven obedience looks like, okay? So some introductory comments on grace for now. There's an equation that I want you to remember. Yes, a math equation. And that's this. Grace plus nothing equals grace. Grace plus nothing equals grace. Grace plus something equals works. Grace plus nothing equals grace. Grace plus something equals works. I read chapter 5, verse 2. It says, Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. What the Apostle Paul shows in Romans chapters 5 and chapter 6 is that if you add one thing to grace, it ceases to be grace. What does that mean practically? It means that if you believe that you're standing before God is based upon anything that you have done or not done, then you're not relating to God through grace. You're relating to God through works. Let me give you an example. Imagine up here I had a cup of water. Let's say it's clean water. So you can see through it. And I take a dropper filled with a blue food coloring and I drop it into the glass. What's going to happen to the water in the glass? It's going to change colors, right? It might not go completely dark blue, but it's going to change colors. The same idea Jesus teaches, he says, a little leaven leavens a whole lump of dough. One drop of works can change the whole thing. If you add one work to grace, it ceases to become grace. And yet, by default, we seem to want to do that all the time. But it's especially imperative for the session and the pastors of this church... In our preaching and our teaching of grace, that not one drop of works is found. Because if that's the case, then it ceases to be grace. The preaching of grace should be so 
unbounded and free, that the question is asked, so shall I continue in sin so that grace may increase? In your preparation for worship, the English preacher Martin Lloyd-Jones addressed this in his commentary on Romans 6. And you can follow along as I read it. There is no better test as to whether a man is really preaching the New Testament gospel of salvation than this. That some people might misunderstand it and misinterpret it to mean that it really amounts to this. That because you were saved by grace alone, it does not matter at all what you do. You can go on sinning as much as you like because it will resound all the more to the glory of grace. If my preaching and presentation of the gospel of salvation does not expose it to that misunderstanding, then it is not the gospel. When you tell people about the gospel, what is their response? When you tell people about the gospel, what is their response? Do they say, in some form or fashion, so you're telling me I can keep sinning because there's grace for that? Lloyd-Jones is saying if that question never comes up, then what you're really doing is you're not preaching the gospel. Because an appropriate presentation of the gospel will, at some point, give rise to that very question. And that means, kind of in the background, one of two things is happening. Either our communication of the gospel is lacking, or our understanding, our foundational understanding of the gospel is lacking. Paul's presentation of the gospel left the people asking, so are we to continue in sin so that grace may abound? As I think about my own gospel presentations throughout the years, that I had no idea how many times, how many times I've heard the gospel from preachers, even famous preachers, some of the guys that you listen to or I listen to, implicit in some of those is believe in Jesus. Plus, believe in Jesus. Plus, give to the church. Believe in Jesus, plus stop fornicating. Believe in Jesus, plus stop being a homosexual. Believe in Jesus, plus vote a certain way. Believe in Jesus, plus do quiet times. Believe in, believe in Jesus, plus serve in the church. Plus, plus, plus. there's ever a plus it is not the gospel 
Now, some of you might be thinking, okay, when the, when the apostles in the book of Acts, they're saying repent and believe, that's kind of the same thing that I'm doing. Not really. The apostles used the word repent in the book of Acts in one of two very specific ways. One is repent from the entire trajectory of your life. That is, God's going north and you're going south, buddy. Repent and turn in that way. That's 98% of the times that it's used in Acts. The other 2% happens when Simon, in chapter 8 of Acts, tries to buy Holy Spirit power. And they say to him, uh, you better repent of that. Because you can't lay the money at our feet and expect to get the Holy Spirit. We can preach faith and repentance, but it's important for us to understand that faith always precedes repentance. God grants both. Neither one of these do we conjure up on our own. God grants both faith and repentance. But only someone who has first believed upon the Lord Jesus and has been given a new heart, not a heart of stone, but a heart of flesh, a new nature can actually then repent. This is why when theologians come up with this thing called the order salutis, the order of salvation, faith precedes repentance. It precedes good works that we do as a Christian because it's the, it's the very thing that first must happen. How does a man get faith? It comes from the Spirit. But faith in what? In the gospel. This very question that we're talking about this morning nearly tore apart the Scottish Presbyterian Church in the 1600s. Is it faith or is it faith plus something? So all of that is an introduction into us now looking at the very first point. Number one, grace is the freedom to sin. Does grace allow you to sin? Does grace allow you to sin? The answer is yes. Because if grace is a free gift, if grace is not at all dependent upon our works, either good or bad, and if grace is eternally secure because of what Christ has done, then nothing, nothing done, nothing undone can remove us from God's grace. Later in Romans, Paul makes this point abundantly clear, chapter 8, 38 and 39. For I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation, by the way, that's you, that's your sin will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. There is nothing that you can do or not do to wiggle free from his hand. 
Grace clearly allows you to sin because we're all here this morning. Once you have been saved by the free grace of God in Jesus, then you will forever be saved. Nothing can change that. And we do sin. My favorite theologian to read ever on any of this is Martin Luther. One of the reasons I enjoy Luther is because he is funny. Um, there's actually, I would encourage you, don't do it now, do it after the service. If you just Google Martin Luther insult generator, there's a website dedicated completely to Martin Luther insults. Uh, he hated Roman Catholics. But he said this, he said, so when the devil throws your sins in your face and declares that you deserve death and hell, tell him, I admit that I deserve death and hell. What of it? I know the one who suffered and made satisfaction on my behalf, and his name is Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God. You do have sin. Every one of us. We have sins that we do. We, we have sins we don't even realize that we do. And friends, this isn't a monthly practice. It's not a weekly practice. It's not even a daily practice. It's an hourly practice. So both theologically and practically, of course, grace allows us to sin. Because the Christian is utterly free because of grace. But that's not really the question that's being asked in chapter 6, verse 1. The question there is, are we to continue in sin so that grace may abound? This is by no means. While grace is freedom to sin, number two, grace is freedom from sin. Grace is freedom from sin. Why does grace not encourage us to sin? You see, if you're coming into this Christianity thing and you go, okay, every time I sin, I get grace, right? And th maybe the, the people that are listening to the Apostle Paul that's saying, well, how do I get more grace? The only way to get more grace is you get more sin. So I'm going to keep sinning so God keeps giving grace. And the Apostle Paul says, whoa, that's not really how it works. I mean, you get grace upon grace, yeah, but that's not really what you were created in Christ Jesus for. Why does grace not encourage us towards sin? And the reason is, it's primarily due to the Christian's new identity. In the passage that Josiah read at the beginning of the service, is all about identity in chapter 6. In verses 5 through 11, it's talking about how the Christian is united to Jesus in his death and resurrection. In verses 12 through 14, it's about how the Christian is no longer under law, but now he is under grace. It's a very different thing. And in closing out the chapter, he's saying, everyone lives as slaves. Before you became a Christian, you were a slave to sin. But now that you have been made a Christian, you are now a slave to righteousness and to God. And it's not by what you do, by the way. It's if you're sinning, 
It doesn't mean that all of a sudden you become a slave to sin and now you're doing something good, you're a slave to righteousness. No, by your identity, by your new last name, you are a slave to righteousness and to God. And so you and I, we can pretend that we're not slaves to righteousness or to God, but that'd be false. If you're in Christ, you've been set free. That's the apostle's argument. Shall I continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. Because that's not who you are. And to live otherwise would be completely false. If you look at chapter 6, verse 2, it says that the Christian is dead to sin. Dead to sin. It's a very strange analogy the Apostle Paul uses. The Christian is dead to sin. On this verse, Matthew Henry, he put it this way. He goes, he that is dead is separated from his former company, enjoyments, employments. He is not what he was. He does not do what he once did. And he has not what he once had. In other words, your life, hidden with Christ in God, has been nailed to the cross. And those old debt collectors... They used to hound you and call you. Those debt collectors, sin and death, they can never come calling again. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? The Puritan, John Owen, said that there's really, because there's really only two things that a pastor has to do. Convince those who are under condemnation that they are really under condemnation and convince those who are in Christ that they really are in Christ. And that's it. Do you hear the difference in all of this as we talk about it? To the worldly mind, the worldly mind hears, keep sinning so that grace will abound. And to the Christian, to those who have the mind of Christ, they hear, why keep on sinning? That's not who I am. If we really should leave behind once we want, what we once were, what we need is grace-driven obedience. So number three, grace-driven obedience. How does, this act, how does this actually work out for the Christian? How does God go about convincing us that obedience is better than continuing in sin? He does so by, so by showing us that obedience is a pull and not a push. Claire, can you put that quote on the board, please? Reinhold Niebuhr said this, You may be able to compel people to maintain certain minimum standards by stressing duty, but the highest moral and spiritual achievements depend not upon a push, but a pull. People must be charmed into righteousness. It's one reason that the Bible describes God's people as sheep and not cattle. You drive cattle. You lead sheep. The sheep are charmed by the shepherd to follow them. To drive cattle, you just make a bunch of noise behind them and drive them. And what this quote is saying 
I believe is what Romans 6 is actually trying to do. Shall I continue in sin so the grace may increase? No, may never be. And the Apostle Paul spends the rest of the chapter charming you into righteousness. The text that Josiah read from Romans 6, it's not, well, you need to do this and you need to do that. There's no imperatives in it. It's, hey guys, this is who you are. This is what Jesus has done. Do you see this? You are being charmed into righteousness. If you struggle with pornography, the grace-driven obedience answer isn't, stop looking. It's, that's not who you are, man. Why would you want to do that? you struggle with speaking ill of your spouse the law driven obedience answer is stop it the grace driven obedience answer is you were not created in Christ Jesus for such things because that is not who you are If you really want people to obey, you can't push them. You've got to pull them. You've got to be pulled. One pastor said this. He says, we're so afraid that people will abuse grace that we have taken it upon ourselves to erect safeguards to prevent that from ever happening. But the reality is this. If grace does not have the potential to be abused, neither will it have the power to transform. If grace does not have the potential to be abused, neither will it have the power to transform. If we really understand grace, friends, we really understand what God is doing, the way, he, the way he interacts with us. And if you want to go on and continue in a life of sin, go on, be my guest. Trounce through the mud and the muck. Make your life miserable. But you don't have to. You don't have to. You want to go off and be the prodigal son? Go do it. You're still going to be a son. But friends, you don't have to. You can stay with a father. And all that he has is yours. Pastor Blake's very fond of quoting this poem by John Bunyan that says, Run, John, run. The law commands but gives me neither feet nor hands. Better news the gospel brings, it bids me fly and gives me wings. The law and, bold, and blind obedience to the law will never bring about true obedience. The gospel tells you to fly and it gives you wings. That's what grace-driven obedience looks like, friends. You are free to sin. But grace is freedom from sin. And he is charming you into righteousness. Do you believe that? Let's pray. Father, may this be the case. We see you truly as you are. And that you would help us to see ourselves truly. And it only comes from your eyes. 
If we are in Christ, we are justified. We are set apart forever. And neither our kind of shabby obedience or flagrant disobedience can ever change that. Because you are good and you hold us and you never let us go. Let us go on. Help us to be familiar with your word so that more and more you may charm us into righteousness. Through Jesus we pray. Amen.